Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. We are in a series where we're just working through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, the writing that Mark wrote about who Jesus is and what he's doing, and we called it Walk With Me, and so we're just saying we're walking with Jesus as he inter, uh, like as he connects and has conversations with his disciples, with people, and as he responds to questions, and one of the questions today um, is deepened. I didn't want to preach this message. I was like, oh man, but then as I started digging in, I was like, I'm actually pretty excited about this. I texted my buddy Jason this week. I was like, I'm kind of excited to preach on divorce. And most people wouldn't be excited, but I'm like digging into it. I'm like nerding out on it. I'm like, wow, I didn't know the scripture was really like into that. And so uh, we're going to dig into it. It's a heavy subject. It's very, it's heartbreaking, but it's also, I think at the end, I hope that you hear hope in the midst of it, of what Jesus does and his response and how he um, speaks to this topic. Um, and so I would really encourage you to just open the digital bulletin so you can track with me because we're going to hit on some scripture that's it's kind of all over the place, um, but there's a lot of references in there, and, um, and I don't want you to get lost in this because it can be a very complicated topic. And what we've been talking about recently is how, um, while I was on sabbatical, um, the, the journey that we've been going on, uh, that you guys have been going on, um, is Jesus revealing through the book of Mark um, how our vision sometimes is tainted, how sometimes we don't see the kingdom of God at work immediately in front of us. That's what I love about what we're doing with our liturgy and how we weave in that question in worship where we say, hey, like, what is God doing in your life? Because sometimes we don't even question it. We don't see it. And we go, oh, yeah, actually, he's been doing some amazing things in my life. I'm just not in tune with it sometimes. I just don't see it. I'm just blinded. Um, And so we have to have these times where we stop and we go, oh, yeah, God's doing some amazing things. And, um, and so it's about vision, and I think this passage also will help us understand a little bit clearer about what God's kingdom is, what his intention is for marriage, um, and for relationships, broken and that are unified. And so um, I just want to say that right off the bat. And last week, I said I was going to have a photo, and the photo didn't work because it was some kind of digitally messed up. But this is the favorite photo from my sabbatical, and um, thank you, Jason, for taking that photo. But we went up and we surfed with our kids um, and uh, this is the first wave I've ridden with both my girls at the same time. And I was like, ah, oh, so I'll forever cherish that moment. And uh, they're just gliding, dude. It's like, yeah, just keeps going. Yeah, this is a, a wave up in Dana Point that um, it just goes forever. And it's effortlessly just riding waves. And it's really fun. And so I just want to share that little moment of joy um, of what God's been doing and what God did through sabbatical. So uh, that was my highlight. Um, the, uh, so the passage that we're in is in Mark chapter 10, it's verses 1 through 12. It'll be on the screen. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to talk about this super easy subject of divorce, right? Like super simple, like we all got straightforward answers. It's very black and white, right? No, it's not. It's super complicated. And I think the same reason it's complicated today, it's the same reason it was complicated 2,000 years ago. When they had questions, when people asked Jesus and said, hey, what's up with this? What are we going to do? And so this passage we're going to read, and don't jump to any conclusions real quick, because we're going to unpack it a bit. We're going to jump around and read some passage. Okay, so let's start out. 
Um, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. So it was a common thing where Jesus was teaching people about what the kingdom of God looks like. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, this is a key ingredient, the Pharisees always trying to test him, always trying to put him on the spot and say, like, does this guy really know what he's doing? And here's what he does. They, they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? A question that many people are probably asking, and how do we do this? Um, and so he answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of hearts, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And then in the house, this is like a separate little thing. The disciples follow up again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Um, This passage comes up a few times. The same one is in Matthew, um, which we're going to reference in a little bit. Um, But there is this ongoing dialogue between the different sects of Judaism in that day about how you interpret Deuteronomy 24. Okay, So just to give you context... The, the thing that they're talking about, the reason they're questioning this, is because everybody in that day, it was like a cultural thing, um, everyone in that day had an opinion about how you should handle this topic, okay? We have an opinion about how we handle it in our culture, right? Like, if you ask anybody in the street, if you're like, what do you think about this? Someone's going to have an opinion. Um, the same way you're going to have an opinion about vanilla or chocolate ice cream, right? Like, whatever it is, you're going to have your opinion. But here's the deal. That very um, difficult conversation was going on and how they interpret a passage that was a little bit gray. And that's why he references Moses, okay? So he goes back to Deuteronomy 24, which I'm going to show you here in a second. You're going to see what Moses, what God told Moses to tell his people about relationships and about divorce and about how that should have uh, take place, because he references certificates, right? So we're going to unpack that in here in a second. So I just want to give you guys some background, because I'm trying to condense what, what takes hours to talk about and really dig into when you look at all of Scripture. But what I hope you see, I'm going to start at 30,000 foot view, is we see a big picture of what Scripture is going through, uh, what Scripture says about it, and then what people were wrestling with in that they had gray answers on this topic, okay? And then we'll kind of like, hopefully it'll help you understand that when you have a conversation with somebody about divorce or these kind of things, or if you've been going through it and you're wrestling through it, um, first of all, I hope that there is grace and there is love in the midst of all of this. I hope that's what you hear at the end. Um, But then we got to process what scripture says about it and how we handle it, okay? So um, Deuteronomy 24, one through four, I'm going to give you this passage. We're going to read it just so you can see it and you can be informed when you have this discussion with someone else. Okay. So if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, so you can see how there's already going to be interpretation, displeasing. What does that mean? Who knows? Um, because he finds something indecent, indecent. What does that mean? You can get into some like word studies on that one, but again, vague, 
okay? And that's why there was dialogue. What does indecent mean? What is that? Like, what, what are grounds for that? And it says, um, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, so these are all the rules about how it works, um, according to Moses from God, um, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord uh, your God has given you as an inheritance. So what's happening here? So what we have here is this is the passage that everybody was trying to interpret in Jesus' day of like, is it okay? Is it not okay? First of all, I want to say is that passage would have been very countercultural. What God was telling his people about certificates, about taking care of um, the spouse during that time was countercultural because the culture said, do whatever you want, marry and throw the person to the wolves, basically. And what God was doing was instilling a way of saying, no, we're going to care for human beings. We're going to love human beings. There's going to be a certificate. There's going to be care for that person. It's not just going to be a frivolous act, right? That people in your community matter is what is starting to happen here. And so what this passage says is it allows, it gave freedom, a uh, a lot of freedom and power to women in that day, which was countercultural. And so what God was doing is saying, I value all human beings in the relationship, not just the male, the female as well. And so what it does is it gives a very vague answer as to what God forbids and what God allows. And so that's why there was a massive discussion in Jesus' day of like, we think that God allows this. And if you want to study this, um, something you can look up um, is there's the the Shemite version, which they were the, the Jewish culture that basically said, we do not allow, like, there's no grounds for divorce. They're very strict. Um, and then there was the Hillite, which any matter, like any little thing that you wanted to divorce somebody for, it was, a, it was fair game. Like, just go for it. So it's kind of like the liberal and conservative view, right, on divorce. And that was in the Jewish culture. So they were interpreting Torah, which is Deuteronomy, um, of how God really wanted people to act in their relationships and their marriages and how long they had to stick it out or whatever. And so everybody had this discussion. So it's no different, right? So what Jesus is jumping into is a very messy conversation already, all right? But here's what Jesus does, which we're going to get into here in a second. Um, so well, let me, let me rewind a little second. So um, that idea of the word indecency, that was interpreted by the very conservatives as like any little thing. Um, and, then, uh, and then so like the, the few passages where we begin to see Jesus' response in Mark chapter 10, which we just read, Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount he talks about, and then Matthew 19 um, says you that basically anybody who divorces other than for adultery um, is committing a sin. That's kind of like his basic response. But when we begin to look at Scripture and we look the the whole of what's going on, we begin to see something bigger. So are there exceptions to allow for divorce in Scripture? Yes. So here's where we're going to dig into kind of the nuance because the answer to this question isn't super black and white. 
And the response that Jesus gives is he goes back to, you heard what Moses said, but then he takes it even further, which we're going to talk about, is he goes back to Genesis and says, what God created, let no man separate, which we're going to get to. So hold on. Um, So the first part I want to show you is that, yes, there is divorce, and there's even an example of where God divorces Israel. If you want to check out Jeremiah 3, 8 through 10, um, God says that Israel has basically... Um, their hearts have gone away from God. And so he uses this analogy of divorcing Israel. So even God has already, like, there's, like, inklings of that conversation happening between God and his people, that it can happen. Like, if your heart strays, there will be that separation. And, um, and so there's a lot of interpretation that can happen with that. But let me take it a little further. So in 1 Corinthians, let's see what Paul says. He... Um, he lays out kind of a little bit of a detail for the early believers as to like how to handle um, these relationships. He says, for an unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband, for otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Yet if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound to such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So I don't know if you remember last week, the passage we ended with, like it ended with live in peace with one another, right? It's that same concept that where Paul's just saying, hey, like if the unbelieving spouse isn't into this sort of thing, isn't part of it, he gives space to say then you need to, you don't need to be bound to these circumstances. Like there, it doesn't have to happen. And so again, is there interpretation in that? Yeah, because then it's like who's believing, who's unbelieving? You know, if it's two believers that get in this place and they're like, well, they don't understand what God's called us to do and what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to live out this relationship and they're not holding up their end of the deal, you could easily say, well, they're just not believing. They don't believe in God, right? And they can point the finger and that could be endless. So there's a bit of interpretation where I think we have to say, we're not going to judge people. We're going to leave people's hearts between them and God and what they decide and what they feel convicted for. Um, There's space for that. It's nuanced, right? This isn't super black and white. This isn't like a very simple, like, yeah, if one's not in, it's not listening to scripture, well, then kick them out and they're done. And um, yeah, it just isn't that way. It's very nuanced in some ways. And one of the things I forgot to say in the very beginning is in this conversation where we talk about divorce, we're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about um, a crime taking place within a relationship. We're talking about two people that have like, where their hearts have drifted, right? And gone in a different direction. Like, there is no, like, there's nothing that's going to justify somebody staying in a relationship via a crime or an abuse situation. I'm just going to clarify that right off the bat, okay? So just know that. That's, we're talking about the more nuanced, like, are you, is it sin or is it wrong for you to divorce somebody that you disagree with, that you don't, you just haven't, there's a drift, you know what I mean? Um, that's kind of the more of the conversation that we're going to. So, so Paul gives grounds for saying, yeah, there's, there is room for that. Um, so now let's address what Jesus said in that passage and begin to unpack that a little bit more. So Jesus is always trying to get at the heart of the issue, right? So when they ask him, like, what's up with this divorce? Is it okay or is it not okay? And what grounds can you get divorced in? And so Jesus responds, talks about Moses, references the passage that we already checked out. But then he goes on, and he goes all the way back um, to uh, Genesis. And he makes this connection. Um, 
that I think we have to understand kind of the bigger picture, the heart of what Jesus is trying to say, rather than the specifics and making broad brushstrokes about how we view uh, this answer when it comes to can, can there be a divorce. Um, and, um, and so one of the things that I want to point out before I read that passage is that in Matthew 5, 28, he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you read that one and you go like, wow, that's, that's pretty deep in, right? So if any of you, I'm going to point the finger because I'm never having this problem, um, <laughs> that if any of you have looked at somebody lustfully or you know, been attracted to somebody else for a moment, that then, yeah, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Pretty intense, right? You need to take a deep breath like, okay, so we're all guilty. You know, like, that doesn't leave much room. So that's a pretty intense statement for Jesus to say. But what he's trying to do, which we have to understand, is like, he's not saying you're all messed up. Well, he kind of is. He's kind of saying, yeah, we all need Jesus. We all need to recognize that we are, we are prone to being distracted, right? Um, and, and what he says is, recognize your heart in the midst of it. Recognize even your heart in the smallest thing in the first step. Because Adultery doesn't just happen overnight. There had to have been something in your heart that said, well, kind of interested in this over here, in this person, and you entertain that relationship and that conversation. And it, that seed had to have been planted somewhere in your heart a long time ago, right? It doesn't happen instantly. Well, maybe for some people, I don't know. But um, I'm pretty sure there had to, be an, had to have been a drift to get to that point where you're fully committing adultery, Right? And so what Jesus says is like, let's begin to look at the heart. Let's look at the small things, the most minute part of it where that seed is planted and it begins to grow into full um, destructive patterns. And so here we begin to see that um, we can build this case that yes, um, there is a nuance in this conversation because again, we just recognize that we're all guilty of that at some point, right? Um, so then we have to continue on, and this is the example I want to give you guys of like how this, um, this plays out is Jesus, in another teaching in Luke 18, he says, honor your father and mother, right? Honor your father and mother. But then in another passage in Luke 14, right before that, he says, whoever does not hate his own father or mother, you've probably heard this, and isn't willing to come follow me, um, isn't part of the kingdom, right? So in one sentence, he's saying, honor your father and mother. And then another sentence, he's saying, but if, you don't, if you're not willing to hate your father and mother, you can't be part of what I'm doing. What do we do with that? What do you, we have to understand that what he's saying is like, let's get at the heart of the issue again. He's saying, if you're, he's not talking about hating them. He's saying, if they're telling you that you can't be part of the what you're doing to, I don't know, maybe be part of the, um, the kingdom of God, if you're, whatever you're doing to be part of like this whole discipleship crew that Jesus is doing, um, then yeah, you need to distance yourself from that opinion, that you need to have your own opinion about it, right? So he's not saying hate them. He's still saying honor and love them. But he's saying the more important thing, the heart of the issue is, do you love God and his kingdom more than this world? Is the priority lying in his ways or is it lying in some other thing? And so there's a nuance in that conversation, right? But we all know that the heart of it is really what Jesus is getting at. Um, it's not a mixed message. 
It's really the same message. It's just, where is the priority lying? And so, um, so we go on, and he, he basically, he's trying to get at the deeper meaning of it and get at the core of the issue. And what we see here is he quotes Genesis, and he says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So he goes, I'm going to go to the deeper thing. I made you to live in this way that is beautiful. In the relationships that you have, it's meant to be peace. It's meant to be this life-giving, beautiful relationship where you're looking out for the needs of the other person over yourself that there's a sacrificial kind of love that takes place in this relationship, that it's designed the way that God wanted it to be in a way that says, I care more about the other person than myself, right? The two become one where it's no longer me. It's no longer about me. And that's what a lot of like wedding vows talk about, right? Is like you're starting to commit and say, it's not about my agenda anymore. It's about our agenda. And really like, the even deeper thing is that God is part of that. That God's agenda begins to take rule and root in everything that you do together. And now I begin to fade in the background. It becomes this, this I don't know, this trinity of like the three of us, right? Of God informing our decisions and how we do things, our finances, our every part of life. And, the, and that's what Jesus is referencing back to. So he goes like, let's go back to the thing that like we originally designed these marriages for. It's meant to be a reflection of God's love. It's meant to be this relationship that is beautiful and life-giving. And so he says, let no one separate that. So his answer like goes, cuts to the core of marriage, the core of relationship. Um, and so marriage, according to God, was intended to be this, this very beautiful thing. And we twist it. We twist it into this thing that says, well, if I'm not getting anything out of the deal anymore... I'm out, right? Um, if we're honest, let, let's really be honest about like why divorces end, like why divorce takes place, why we see that brokenness. Um, when my personal benefits aren't there anymore, what's the point? I should just go somewhere else, right? Um, we see this expression in our culture. It's woven into how we act, not just as married couples or in dating relationships, but as individuals, that my priority is number one, like me first and then others. But what Jesus models and what we see here is the sacrifice. Um, marriage wasn't intended to be like a gym membership or a transactional like business account, right? Where it's like, if I get something in return, we'll be good. And the moment the gym membership doesn't deliver, there's too many people there, it's too crazy, I'm going to just, I'm going to delete my account and I'm done, right? I'm going to take my money to another gym or another place or another relationship. And what we see here is where he says, let, what God has, has brought together, let no one separate. He's saying, be committed in this way that is so sold out, so committed that nothing gets in the way of that. Um, I know that 
a God-centered relationship will relentlessly be generous, will relentlessly be loving, will relentlessly be sacrificial. And I would argue that any relationship that has two people doing that will probably do pretty good, right? But I know even from myself that the strain that comes in mine and Katie's relationship is when I'm selfish, is when I bring my agenda and I'm like, yeah, I'm too tired, too busy, too whatever. I don't want to do that um, or I don't want to help. I don't want to like commit to bringing everything that I can to the relationship. And I know that that's where the tension starts, right? That's where the seed is planted of division. And so... Paul goes on, and, and he describes it in Ephesians. Uh, if you want to just really dig in, let's go into Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The example that he gives of a relationship is like this full sacrificial kind of love that says, I'm going to do everything I can to see you succeed. I'm going to do everything I can to help you, to support you, to help you thrive. Because when you win, we are one, and I win, Right? And that's like, that's the beautiful picture that we see. And, and so I just want to, I want to, because we have a little bit of time, and I'm going to take all the way to like the end if I can, because I have a lot of info to like still drop. But um, can we just take a second and with somebody that's next to you, ask this or answer this question, what's the best way to escalate, escalate an argument? Just one person next to you in anything, just what's the best way to escalate an argument? Go for it. You got one minute. That just got heated real quick. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Escalate an argument. Okay, some answers. <laughs> Just shout them out. Body language. <laughs> Body language. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> Absolute. You always. I never. <laughs> you, you. Yeah, exactly. The blaming, the finger pointing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I never do any of those things. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Not guilty. Um. What de-escalates an argument? Choosing kindness over being right. Listening. Agreeing. <laughs> Apologizing. <laughs> Body language, right? Eye contact. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> For the podcast, <laughs> I hope you heard it. Argue naked. Okay. Um, <laughs> just so you got that one. It's okay. There's no kids in there. Well, this one, but 
doesn't know. Um, do you guys see the difference between the two conversations? We all know it, right? We all know it, but when we get in the middle of it, it's my way or the highway, right? It's like, I got to defend my actions, my reasons, my way, and it's just, it's never ending, and it forever will escalate. That will never de-escalate. We all know that. It's always, it'll always get worse. It never gets better when you're trying to prove it right, um, but all these actions, all the things you guys listed off of humility, body language, caring, right? A loving body language where you come up to them and you're like, okay, let me, help me understand what's going on here. It's, that's Jesus-like. We see Jesus modeling these things and we go, yeah, I don't know, but I still need to be right. <laughs> and it's still like we just keep pushing. And so like the, the solution, I don't need to give it to you. We all know it. You, you shared them, right? We all know it instinctively, because we've seen it modeled, and we've seen it modeled in ways that goes, oh, that was so good. It was so refreshing to be around a person that was loving and patient and generous, and oh, it's, it's so good for my soul. And, and so I hope I made my point that, like, I think, we, I think we have to reassess how we view relationships. We have to get at the core of really where some of this stuff starts, and that's what Jesus was trying to do, is go back to Genesis God created you this way to thrive and to have shalom. And I know I always use that word, but he uses peace in the New Testament. It's translated peace, but it's wholeness. It's a relationship the way that God designed it to be, where it thrives, where you go, okay, yeah, that didn't work, but let's get together. Let's put our heads together and figure it out and like move forward, right? In a way that when other people see those kind of relationships, they go, wow, a godly relationship, a Christ-centered relationship is amazing. And one of the sad conversations I had with Jason when we had our, our saltiness this week when we went and got uh, surfing um, was how many relationships do you see in your life that model this kind of patience, generous, loving kind of marriage? How many of those do you see or how many did you see growing up as a child? Right? 50% of marriages, we all know this stat, end in divorce. Half of the, the weddings that we go to end, right? Whether it's a few years later, many years later, who knows? Um, and, and again, this isn't a judgmental thing. I hope that like, because I know we've, this is a topic that touches every single one of us in this room in some way, either personally or because like my parents are divorced um, or we've known other people and we've seen it, but it hasn't been modeled well. Like our culture doesn't, I say, let me clarify, our Christian like Christ-centered culture doesn't model well what it looks like to be in loving relationships that live out the things that we all listed. And so, oh man, it hurts. And so then when we, when we look at the stats, it goes even further that like uh, second marriages are like 60, what did it say, 60% end. And I specifically said end, I didn't say fail because I think that there is redemption. I think that God does things through us and through relationships that are broken, that he, he brings back the pieces. He can do amazing things. They're always going to be, it's going to be messy. There's going to be fallout in that process. But, and then 73% of the third marriages fail or fail end, right? And what that tells me is that we're continually looking for, and I say we because that's a stat that's worldwide, um, Western culture. We're continually looking for something to fulfill something in us rather than bring something to that relationship. 
And it keeps getting worse because we're like, oh, I just didn't find it in this person. Well, I didn't find it in this person. I didn't find it in this person. And it's just the stat gets higher and higher because you find out quicker and quicker that you don't found what you need in that person. We're never going to find what we need in another person. We're always going to find it in Jesus. We will never find it in another person. I hope we hear that. Like, we will never find it in another person. Um, as we get older in marriages and relationships, there will be more challenges. People change. There's all kinds of layers. It's so nuanced, right? But we have to be reminded that like where we find our purpose and where we find our meaning is in Jesus. And that we, like, the marriage relationships are designed to be centered around him and centered around generosity, love, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, right? All these things, this faithfulness, um, all of these attributes that Jesus models for us. And so um, I just hope that we can be that. Um, a quote that I heard this week from Matt, which is brilliant. Um, maybe you've heard this before, the grass is always greener, what? On the other side, he says this. I don't know where the quote came from, but I couldn't reference it. I looked it up and Googled it. The grass isn't greener on the other side of the hill. It's greener where you water it, right? And so like, we all go, yeah, oh, that hurts, you know, like, but I don't want to spend the time out in the sun watering, you know, like, oh, and my sprinkler system's broken, and, you know, we'll come up with all kinds of excuses, but it's all about me again, but what we see here is like this, like, we need to water these relationships, and this isn't just for marriage relationships in this room right now, like, I hope, and whoever's listening, that it's for all relationships, every relationship, we all know that if we water it, it will grow, if we take and we say, like, I'm just going to pull the fruit from this relationship and continue to eat, and, oh, this is delicious, me, 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 it'll never be good. Someone eventually will be like, dude, you're taking all the fruit. What's up? My apple tree's empty now. Um, but we need to be generous. We need to be loving. We need to be kind. We need to recognize that the, we have to water those relationships. And so I hope, like, I needed to hear this this week, and that's why, like, this message was just so so good, and I was, like, so excited to talk about divorce, was because, like, as I began to think about this, I was like, man, like, how good it'd be to see Christian relationships, Jesus-centered relationships that are watering the relationship, and people seeing that and going, wow, the grass is so green. Like, that relationship is thriving because, not because it's perfect, but because they know how to navigate hot summers when the grass starts to burn, right? Like, just take that analogy and keep like wrestling with it that like we've got to water it. We've got to like continue to pay attention to the grass and begin to um, see how we will thrive in the midst of that. Psalm 1, um, we need to be the kind of people who keep our eyes focused on God, not our selfish desires. And that's a hard thing. Like I have to continually fight against that every single day. And so here's what I'm going to close with. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, that we love the fact that God calls us to righteousness, to faithfulness, to self-control, to love, right? And who meditates on his, day, on his law day and night. So we continually reflect on love, patience, like all these beautiful attributes. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. I don't think that we will fail in loving people, in loving our spouses, in being generous, in being sacrificial, in being faithful, and in, in giving up of ourselves in order to like really love the other person. 
I don't think that that will go wrong. I think it will prosper. I think people will see that and we'll have more people that will grow up um, with people modeling what it looks like to have beautiful relationships that thrive, right? Um, I hope that we can be that and I hope that we can strive to that and that gives us hope and gives us excitement that on a topic like today of divorce that is damaging and difficult and sad and heart-wrenching as it can be, I hope that we see there's hope in this that as Jesus speaks into us, he gives us this way of living that is, it's countercultural. It's giving us like new way of looking at stuff and saying, we get to be part of that change. We get to be part of transforming our culture because of the way that we live, the way that we view our relationships, that relationships aren't to be used and thrown away. They're meant to be brought together by God and prosper. And so I'm going to close with this question. Um, <sighs> reflect on the relationships that you have right now. All of them, because not all of us are married in this room. Reflect on the relationships that you have, and this is my challenge just to, as you go into this week. Reflect on those relationships. Spend a lot of time thinking about those relationships. Maybe make a list of all the friendships, um, the deeper relationships, like starting with your marriage, if you are married, down to like the friendships and you know people that you work with or whatever, um, and begin to think about, <clears throat> are you building them up and empowering them? Because I think that that gets at the core of what Jesus was trying to do. Are we building others up or are we tearing them down? Are we investing in others or are we taking constantly from others? And I think that's kind of the crux of this conversation and the crux of what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples was like, yeah, it, like there's infidelity in this world. There's people who will be unfaithful and all that kind of stuff. But really, let's go back to what God said in the very beginning. Let's not worry about the rules and the laws and Deuteronomy 24 and all that stuff. Let's go back to the beginning and say like, the way that God intended relationship was to be good. He intended it to thrive. He intended it to be this beautiful reflection of his love. And that's why you see that analogy throughout scripture of like the marriage relationship like between like the church, all of us, and Jesus, right? That like we are his bride. That we are to like be that reflection of this beautiful life-giving relationship. Um, and so are we empowering others? Are we empowering our, our spouses? Um, are we empowering, and this, is, this doesn't have to end with spouses, but this goes further into like our friendships, um, our families. Are we empowering them? Are we really encouraging them? Our kids, right? Are we empowering them? Are we loving them? Or are we like, I don't have time for you right now. I don't have time for whatever you're doing. Um, it's a heart change, right? It's a shift that happens. It's a perspective. Sure that you need time to like, for yourself, there will be time. I'm not just saying like neglect yourself. I'm saying recognize the balance in like what it looks like to really put Christ first. Um, take the time you need for Sabbath and for refreshing your soul so that your cup is full so you can flow and pour into others. But man, like I think so many times we think about just our cup, right, and being full. But there's really something that happens beautiful when we begin to pour and empower others and pour into others that God fills our cup in that process. Like he starts to transform our heart. And so let me pray over this. I'm gonna, uh, I hesitate giving you this, but I put it in the notes. Um, there's a three hour long video about divorce and all these details, I basically narrowed it down to 30 minutes. Um, if you want to really get into the nuance and the passages and the scripture and you're like, I'm wrestling with this, um, that video's in there. Um, it's Marriage and Divorce. It's by Mike Winger. 
Um, and he's just, he, he just wrestles with scripture in a beautiful way. And so if you want to do that, go for it. He handles all the little nuances and the discussions and the dialogue and the, the arguments and stuff. And if you want to get into the, all the theology of it, there it is. So I just want to make those resources available if you want to take this further. But my core thing is like that we be people who, who love deeply, right? Um, and, and if we, I would say just like, I know that because I mentioned that divorce touches all of our lives in some way that, um, that we handle it with grace, um, with an understanding that there's a lot of brokenness that comes with this conversation, um, and recognize that Jesus longs to step in there and bring healing, to bring redemption, um, that he, he can do the impossible, right? He can transform hearts, and even our own hearts where we're like, I don't know how I can get through this or how I can handle this relationship. He can handle it. You don't have to handle it. He can handle it. And, uh, and we, need to, we need to just recognize Jesus in the midst of all of it and how he can begin to bring his love and grace. And so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that uh, your scripture is nuanced. Um, I know that culture sometimes makes it very black and white and it sounds very judgmental, but it's not. We know that your heart, God, is for thriving, for love, for beautiful relationships that model faithfulness, and, um, and Jesus, we long to reflect that. We long to step into that more and more each day, that we learn to be uh, more loving. And so transform our hearts. I pray your Holy Spirit would uh, really just empower all of us as we leave this room, um, that as we go into this week, you would just really transform us each day, continually make us aware of the relationships that we have and how we can begin to really make them thrive and really just acknowledge you in the midst of them and acknowledge your work in the midst of them and the beautiful thing that you want to do to really just uh, bring new life, transformation, um, and your love in the midst of it. So we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Cool. Uh, well, let me read our, our benediction as we go out. Rejoice in knowing that you never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us that he's guiding and protecting us and share this comfort with one another and maybe some people in your life that are struggling right now um, and feel his presence each moment of every single day. Amen. Have a good week.